So, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. He would be in Jerusalem in the lead-up to Passover because the city of Jerusalem itself is going to swell by, I think the estimates are maybe 250,000, 300,000 of your closest friends or relatives. And uh, they're there to celebrate the time when they're in their deep past, their ancestors were enslaved and God set them free. And they lived their entire lives with reminders that they themselves at that time are not free. They have Roman soldiers and Roman taxes and Roman language every once in a while and so on and so forth. And so if there, if, if there was ever going to be a time when they would get, say, rowdy or get it into their minds that maybe that God intends them to be free, it would be during Passover. So Pilate would take up residence in what's known as Fortress Antonia, which kind of overlooks, the, or looked, past tense, the, the temple complex. And uh, normally he would live up in the northwest in Caesarea Philippi, and he'd come down and bring a bunch of soldiers to just be ready in case something happened. Now, Pilate's goal was not at any point to uh, execute justice or to rule over the people in Jerusalem with great wisdom or anything like that. No. Pilate has one goal, and that's to keep the area stable, which essentially protects Roman interests. The uh, pathway of, of the general area of what we would call Palestine was um, used for a lot of like shipping and, and like grain transportation, which the Roman Empire heavily relied on. You had to get all the stuff out of the Nile River, River Delta and up to like Tur- well, modern-day Turkey and Greece and Rome and all of that. So Pilate has a pretty important job. And he, um, as we'll talk about in a little bit, is not a good guy at all. In about six years, six or seven years, depending on how you date it, after his little dust-up with Jesus, he will be deposed because there was yet another rebellion. And this time he put it down so violently that even Rome said, you need a timeout. And if Rome is saying, hey, maybe that was a little too brutal, you have a problem. So that's Pilate. Uh, but it doesn't begin with Pilate. Uh, the chief priests the, uh, and the high priest have brought Jesus to the place where Pilate is staying. And I, I just get kind of a sense, I don't think I'm reading too much into this, I get the sense of the way that Pilate deals with this, he's just, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be interacting with them. It's early in the morning. He doesn't care. Uh, it, it's the, the best way that I can describe it is if you've ever had this experience where you're at home and you hear like on the other side of the house uh, a large amount of glass shatter. Have you ever had that? And then you might, and if you wear glasses might, like me, you probably go like this and then you think to yourself, can I plausibly deny that I, that I heard that? And then you realize, no, okay, fine, I will deal with it. I think that there's kind of that dynamic going on. Pilate does not respect these guys. He kind of needs them in order, to, and they need him in order to uh, keep things relatively stable. 
So he'll entertain them for a bit. So they bring Jesus to him and they say, hey, kill him. And Pilate says, look, you've got your own laws. Just do, it, you know, do whatever you're going to do, which I think is Greek for, please don't bother me about this. And then they say, uh, and, and then, you know, he asks, well, what did he do? And uh, they say, look, if he hadn't done evil, we wouldn't have brought him here. That doesn't answer the question. I think most of us here are, are, are old enough and wise enough to know that if you ask somebody a question and they don't answer it, there's a reason why they're not answering it. They're hiding something. And that's exactly what's happening here. So at some point, uh, John doesn't fill in this detail. I guess he assumes that we'll put it together. Um, we realize that the accusation that they've made is that Jesus is claiming to be some kind of king. And at that point, again, historical imagination time, I'm imagining Pilate again taking off the glasses he probably didn't wear because they hadn't been invented yet, and kind of rubbing his eyes and going, great, now I have to get involved. Because if you have a guy walking around Jerusalem claiming to be king of the Jews, you are now in the territory of threatening Roman interests. That does actually, have, especially during Passover, that has the possibility of popping off into something bigger. So Pilate says, oh, fine. And, and then he asks Jesus just point blank, are you the king of the Jews? Because obviously if Jesus just says, yes, I am a king, I was born to be a king, great, short conversation, pass him off to soldiers, you guys know what to do. That's an easy, that's an easy fix from his standpoint. Then Jesus, he, he answers the question, but he, he, he gives a little more. He says, uh, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Now in Greek, ek tu cosmo tu tu. It's, um, we, we sometimes will hear this to mean that, his, his, the, that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus uh, is a spiritual reality kind of floating or something like that. But that preposition usually will refer to where something originates. So Jesus is saying, look, my kingdom does not originate here. But his entire career up to this point, Jesus has been going around saying or teaching the people what the kingdom of God is and demonstrating what the kingdom of God is. And it looks like the hungry being fed, the lame walking, the blind seeing, those who are held captive being set free, the poor having the good news preached to them. It looks like grace being extended to people that don't deserve it by any reasonable standards. It, it looks like people coming back to life, people being healed. Uh, that The kingdom of Jesus is very much for this world. It may not have started here, in fact it didn't, but it definitely lives here. It exists for here. It exists here. Uh, now, at this point, <clears throat> Pilate, um, Pilate doesn't really take the bait 
I mean, Jesus does say, like, look, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting to prevent me from being handed over, from being arrested. And I mentioned that two weeks ago when we talked about the arrest of Jesus, because that is true. There was no big fight. There was no riot. That's partially why Jesus was arrested in the garden at night, uh, with the exception, of course, of Peter. And that scene continues to just live rent-free in my head because he somehow has a sword and is so inept at using it, he swings it around and catches an ear. Um, <laughs> that, that, that tells me he doesn't know how to use it, which is sad because it's a sword. It's not that hard. Um, nonetheless, Jesus is right. Uh, if he were making the claim that he is king, this is what he is born for, he belongs on the throne in any kind of way that Pilate would expect, then his arrest would have started a big fight. Potentially, that's what Judas was hoping for. That's for another time. And so Pilate realizes this. Um, Jesus is not making a claim that would put him at odds with Roman interests. And then Jesus goes on to say, like, those who follow me, rather than, you know, fighting, because the kingdom of God is not about violence, um, those, those who, who hear, my, hear the voice of truth follow me. To which Pilate responds with the very famous postmodern question, what is truth? It's a very interesting question. And it's hard to know the tone that Pilate is using here. But I think it's pretty safe to say that Pilate is not, is not inquiring. He's not interested in a philosophical debate. From everything we know about Pilate, that is not what he, he likes. He likes hitting people. And he's powerful. And, and so, to me, the, the, this question, what is truth, that Pilate is asking, is the kind of question you ask when the only kind of truth you care about is the truth of power. It's the only kind of question you would ask if you're the one holding all the cards, or at least you think you are. Um, for Pilate, who cares about truth? Truth truly doesn't matter because he's the one in charge. Um, a modern-day way of saying this is the only truth that I care about is the kind of truth that comes out of the barrel of a gun or explodes from a bomb or something like that. You hold all the cards or guns or swords or whatever. For Pilate, you get to say what truth is. Now, curiously, um, he, he goes out to the chief priest and says, look, he's not looking to start a fight. He's, he's not claiming to be king. He's not, um, he's not putting himself up against Roman interests. So from his standpoint, this, this conversation is over. But for whatever reason, Pilate decides that he's going to try to throw them a bone. I don't know what his endgame here is, because they were the ones that arrested him in the first place. But anyway, he says, look, it's Passover. At this time, I always free a prisoner. So why do, do you want me to free him? And then, very, very interestingly, uh, the chief priests shout, no, 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 bring us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. 
and I've probably said this before, but um, there's a very deep level of irony here that I think John is very well aware of, as well as the other gospel writers, because the name Barabbas means son of the father. And so you have this, we're going to see in a minute, a violent son of the father, lowercase f, who very much deserves to be locked up and very much deserves the fate that Jesus is going to get. And yet he gets to go free and Jesus, the true son of the father, capital F, is going to go to his grave having committed no And I think what clinches this for me is the fact that John inserts that last line, now Barabbas was a blank. I say blank because robber is not the way you should translate this. Uh, it's a um, he's an insurrectionist. And other translations pick up on this a little bit better than the one we use. He's an insurrectionist. He quite literally was the type of guy that was caught fighting and trying to spark rebellion, which is the exact kind of thing that Pilate is nervous about. Multiple levels of irony there. But it definitely contrasts the guilt of one and the innocent of Jesus, or innocence of Jesus, which I think is the conclusion, the exact conclusion that John wants us to make. Um, but I want to go back. Because Pilate asked, what is truth? Now Jesus said, you know, my followers, uh, those who follow the voice of truth, um, they, they follow my commands. Which would lead us to ask, well, what are Jesus' commands? Which takes us back to the conversation about what Jesus means when he says his kingdom. His kingdom is, is, is one of restoration. It's one of hope. It's one of recognizing that the human being in front of me, even though we have so many things that should divide us, I am compelled by the, the new standards in this new kingdom that is going to slowly take over the earth. I am compelled to look at you not as, as, a, as an other, not as a you or those guys or those people or, or anything, but rather as somebody who is likewise made in the image of God for, and for whom Jesus is about to go to his grave. It's a kingdom of, of radical compassion. For Jesus, that is truth. In the same way that Pilate asks, what is truth? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom there, but it can sting a little bit. Because I know in, in my own heart, and I know in, in really within human nature and in, in human history, it is very, very easy to lose track of that commonality, that, that, that common uh, source of dignity, what we call being human and being made in the image of God. It's very easy to speak from a position of power and authority, perceived or real. And to see those who we don't like, 
those with whom we disagree, those who have wrong political opinions, those who uh, have weird ideas about how things ought to be run, those who we would deem toxic, those we would deem a human train wreck, those who have too many problems, those who are too inconvenient, those who are exhausting, the list goes on, and we can see those and think, well, what is truth? Well, I know my truth. My truth is that I don't want any of that. But that's not the kind of truth that Jesus identifies as part of his kingdom. And those barriers fall when Jesus goes to his grave. The apostle, well, Jesus himself says it, and the apostle Paul will run with it and say, in that moment, God has begun gathering his people. And the things that used to divide us don't anymore. He's creating one family. Formerly, it was just the Jewish people. Now, it is Jews and Gentiles, a motley crew of people that God has restored in Jesus. Which is, I think, where the contempt, the, the venom of what Pilate would say, what is truth? It's really where it comes. Um, because Pilate now stands in opposition to all of that. We will see next week that Pilate also has no spine. Pilate is happy to do the things that are um, easy, for the sake of expediency, rather than any sense of what is right or wrong. Um, Unless we forget the concept of what Jesus' truth is versus Pilate's truth, um, we are all culpable. And yet, regardless, Jesus now is about to get the death sentence. He will go to, to his grave, and then he will defeat death. And the kingdom that he has been going around spreading and talking about and demonstrating and and teaching will now come alive. Not centered on him, but centered on all of us. But not yet. Amen.